Two Poor Bastards contains explicit content and drunken ramblings. Listener discretion is advised. You were listening to Two Poor Bastards, where two friends get drunk, talk whiskey, and their favorite pop culture obsessions. This is Eric. And this is Kyle. And you were listening to episode 10. Can you believe that there's going to be 16 hours of us yapping on the internet? I can believe that. <laughs> it's... I mean, we started out with some content. Yeah, yeah. So this I'm episode... to streamline it. Yeah. So this episode, we're going to get into... The Colonel E.H. Taylor uh, Barrel Proof. This is a little find that I got myself into on a day off from work, so I'm pretty excited about that. It's the only bottle. It's the only bottle I've ever seen in any of the liquor stores that I've been in. So I've never seen a bottle for sale in the state of Minnesota. So this is. I, I just figured we should celebrate by drinking it. Uh, we're also going to get into your experience at California Extreme, and then I did it. I finished all of Berserk, and I let me tell you, I fucking blasted through the, the newest series. Like I'm like, I want more, more, more. So, and I was kind of pissed. Like I got through it. I'm like, that's it. What? Well, for the longest time, some people thought that at the eclipse, that's all there was to the story. And they're like, that's it. That's how it ended. Yeah, and it looks like it's gonna keep going. Like it's a it's a, a story. There's gonna be another season next year. Well, maybe, maybe, hopefully. Well, the next step for me is reading the damn manga because that's yes. the story continues on the page till a certain point. So, anyways, let's get into this uh, whisk, this juice. So, what is your? What do you know about it? So, Colonel E. H. Taylor. Uh, Distilled at Buffalo Trace Distillery. It's almost like a... I wouldn't say it's like a premium line, but it's its something a little special. It's not, you know, output as much as some of their other products. Um, stuff like uh, the foregrain or the barrel proof, stuff like that uh, comes out, you know, every once in a while. I'm guessing it's maybe like four times a year. But then again, I never see any of this stuff. So it's hard to say when right. for sure it does come out. But, I mean, the barrel proof, like I said earlier, I've never seen a bottle of that for sale in Minnesota until you just found this one. Yeah, you sent me a text message, and I was like, you buy that shit immediately. <laughs> Do not even hesitate. Do not hesitate. Get it now. Mm-hmm. Don't look anyone in the eye. I mean, I haven't been able to find a just regular single-barrel version of the E.H. Taylor line for the longest time. I recently picked one up maybe about a month ago. And typically around here, all you see is the rye sitting on the shelves. But my hypothesis on why that's on the shelf is because it's not all that great. To me, it kind of tastes like Bazooka Joe bubblegum, which is really that's kind so of a weird flavor profile strange. to come out of it. Because Buffalo Trace's other rye products taste so radically different. And I don't know what the difference in the mash bill is or anything, but it's just, I don't like it. I really wanted to like it, but I just don't like it. You just couldn't bring yourself to do it. I that's fair. Uh so So we're hitting barrel proof again. Yeah. We're we're skating on the barrel proofs here. Um That's three. 
Yes. So this is three. This particular one clocks in at 129.7 proof. So that gives us 64.85% for the alcohol content on it, which is nothing to sneeze at. No. So this is some strong juice. Strong juice. It's higher than the Abalori that we did, but below the Elijah Craig. So Elijah Craig is almost toxic. <laughs> this yeah. is a step below that. So, uh, Interestingly enough, Colonel E.H. Taylor is a premium version of the uh, available in small batch, single barrel, barrel proof, and rye, obviously. So there's Old Man Taylor, which I think is the Old Taylor. Old Taylor, yeah. So that's like just their low. Well, Old Taylor was a brand, or not Buffalo Trace. I think it was Old Fashioned Copper at the time, what the distillery was called, and they released a version called Old Taylor. Yeah. And so old- unless I don't know, unless that's a new one they announced because they're always doing special ones like they have uh the Tornado Survivor one or they had the Four Grain or what else they do I don't know some shit but so it says here Old Taylor Bourbon is a brand straight bourbon produced by at Buffalo Trace in Franklin County, Kentucky by the Sazerac Company. It was named in honor of the historic distiller Colonel Edmund Haynes. Uh, and then this, what we're drinking is the premium version of that is what it's saying. And it was named in honor of Edmund Haynes. Taylor Jr. was born in Columbia, Kentucky in 1832. Taylor was the grand nephew of president Zachary Taylor. Uh, like various other figures in Kentucky whiskey industry, Taylor is often referred to in public in relation materials as Colonel since he held in the honorific title of kentucky colonel like colonel sanders right uh the honorific title resembles that of a military rank but is not actually associated with military obviously yada 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 uh taylor started his own seven different distilleries throughout his career his most successful one was ofc and carlisle distilleries the forerunners of today's buffalo trace distillery E.H. Taylor is said to have lobbied in favor of the Bottled in Bond Act, a law that gave participating whiskey producers a tax break and a government certification of a product quality. He has a contemporary of acquiescence, acquaintance, sorry, uh, and various notable whiskey figures such as Dr. James C. Crow, Oscar Pepper, Judge William B., yada, yada, yada. Some expressions of the current brand continue to be offered as bottled and bond versions. I think this one says, at least the other one I have says it's bottled and bond. Maybe this one doesn't. Unlike most distilleries of the time that looked at more, it looked like more like a sawmill sitting in a thicket. Taylor Distillery on Glens Creek near Frankfurt was designed to resemble a medieval castle with landscape grounds on the estate. The distillery attracted tourists picnickers who were given complimentary 10th pint bottles of old Taylor. I bet those are worth a shitload of money now. Probably. In the late 1940s, old Taylor bourbon was promoted with the slogan sign of a good host. 72, the castle distillery structured had been abandoned and it remained abandoned, but still standing deteriorating condition for more than 40 years. Some of the material from the barrel houses was reclaimed for construction, facility refurbished. In 09, Buffalo Trace Distillery, part of the Sazerac Company, purchased Old Taylor Bourbon label 
and the burial barrel inventory from Beam Global Spirits. Now Beam Centauri, obviously. Uh, let's see. The brand was purchased in agreement where Beam bought F and Vaca brand from Sazerac. So it's interesting. Good little history lesson for you there. Yeah, I'm glad you, you know, said something about bottled and bond. Because when that came about back in the day, that was a good thing. Because if anything, it guaranteed what you were buying wasn't going to be some shit. So to be bottled and bond, it has to be aged at least four years or four seasons. It might be considered four seasons. Um, has to be uh, like... If I, I'm just doing this all off of memory. It's been a while since I thought about this, but I think at least 50% or at 50% uh, for alcohol content, uh, government supervision. And the nice thing about it is when it came out back then, people were adding a lot of crazy shit into whiskey. And that kept, you know, you knew you weren't getting like arsenic or something in your whiskey or weird colorants or something like that, or just other shit added to it. So let me read you the little factoid on Bottle and Bond. It's a label for American-made distilled beverage that has been aged and bottled according to a set legal regulations contained in the United States government standards of identity for distilled spirits. As originally laid out in the Bottled in Bond Act of 1897, a reaction to widespread adulteration in American whiskey, the act made the federal government the guarantor of spirits' authenticity and gave producers a tax incentive for participating and helped ensure proper accounting and eventual collection of tax that was due. While the regulations apply to all spirits, in practice, most bonded spirits are whiskeys. To be labeled bottled in bond or bonded, the liquor must be a product of one distillation season, January to June, July to December, by one distiller at one distillery, it must have been aged in a federally bonded warehouse under the U.S. government supervision for at least four years and bottled at 100, pr- 100 U.S. proof, 50% alcohol by volume. The bottled products label must identify the distillery where it was distilled and, if different, where it was bottled. Only spirits produced in the United States may be designated as bonded. So this, what we're drinking, is not because it's a higher proof. Yes. Some consumers consider the term as an endorsement of quality, but many producers consider it an archaic and do not use it. However, since bottled and bond whiskey must be a product of one distillation season, one distillery, and one distiller, whereas ordinary straight whiskey may be a product of mingling of straight whiskeys of the same grain type with different ages and producers within a single state, it may be regarded as a better indication of the distiller's skill making it a similar in concept single malt whiskey, small batch, or barrel, single barrel whiskey. Bonded whiskeys are also valued for their higher than usual alcohol content rather than the more typical 80 to 90 proof, as this means that the product contains a less diluted spirit with a correspondingly more flavor. It's a good thing. Basically, if you see something and it says bottled and bond, you're probably going to get a good product. And it's going to be rare because most uh, whiskeys now, especially our craft ones, they're not, there's no correlating, you know, it could be, they're a New York company, they're bottled in Kentucky or some other place, and it's a mixture of a whole bunch of stuff. So, yeah, if it's, I would 
say it's probably a, a sign of a good thing. Al- higher alcohol content is definitely a better thing for me. It's always a good thing. <laughs> Not always, though. Not, not in always. my opinion, it isn't always. Isn't always. Yeah. I mean, there is. You were not a fan of the Russell's Reserve. I almost picked up a bottle of the regular tenure. Just I that's the one I really like. Almost for sure. We'll give do me it. that one. We'll do that and we'll do a little side comparison, a little taste off between the two. Because I'm really curious what the tenure is versus and again, I liked the Russell's Reserve. I it does something for me. I'm working my way through that bottle pretty quick, actually. You got that sweet tooth. I don't maybe. But I don't like sweet things. That's the funny thing. That's right. You're sweet enough. You don't, <laughs> you don't need any of that shit. Thanks, babe. No problem. <laughs> so is that our whiskey piece? What are we talking about? We got to taste it. All right. Well, I just wanted to, you know, mm-hmm. through the history of the factoids. So I've never had this, <clears throat> yet I was really on you to buy it. So hopefully yeah. good things. Not all... Rare, hard-to-find whiskey is going to be good whiskey. I mean, keep that in mind. You might see a bottle that you know everyone's talked about, but it might be shit. There's always the chance right. that that could happen. I have tasted a 23-year-old uh, Elijah Craig that smelled and tasted. It tasted like my parents' musty cabin smells, and it was disgusting, and it was a waste. And that is too bad, and I suppose it was an expensive bottle, too. Well, I had it at a tasting, so luckily I only had to pay for the, you know, event. <laughs> but people who were sitting at the table with me actually dumped their shit. They're like, "This that's is awful!" Bam, wow. <laughs> so dumped. That's too bad. That's. But so let's get into let's. Uh, oh, yeah. So get with sniffing. Honey and dried fruit is what I get, as far as smell goes. Yeah, and and I smell your dog too, so that's throwing me off. <laughs> she's being really attentive tonight for whatever reason. She's just hanging out. So, but that I'm certainly not getting the blast of alcohol that we no. got from some of the others. It has been sitting here a little bit, but I <clears throat> excuse me, I wouldn't attribute it all to that. Yeah. So while it is a higher proof, it's not blowing you away as far as the nose goes on it. Yes, yeah, it's like dry. I, mean, I smell dried, dried fruit, like maybe apricot. Yeah, that's what I. Um. Definitely honey. What other fruits besides apricot really do get dried? So that's the I think thing. Like all of bananas. Yeah. I mean, you've seen some of that, but like I don't know. Well, they're many... like more like banana chips. There's yeah. dried blueberries. Dry any dried berries. Uh Mango, um, apples, uh, but I would say like mangoes, apricots, berries retain more of like, like they're more gelatinous. Whereas like bananas are like chips. Apples turn like chips. They're hard. Uh, but I would say apricot is probably a good, like the best. I don't know if I've ever seen an apricot that non-dried i haven't seen like, <laughs> a regular one in the wild to buy there's also figs that's i mean something to think about dates i won't eat figs because of indiana jones that is funny <laughs> <laughs> why 
because that fucking monkey ate the figs and it ended up dying because they were poisoned. Oh, that's true. That's so sad. It's like, I'm not eating those. Fig Newtons, here I come. (laughs) I don't care how many wasp parts are contained in there. I'll rather eat that. Listen, the rat tails and, you know, beetle shells are fine. They're gross. They're delicious. They add to the character Rat, rat tails by the the people making them have rat tails, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, they, have, they got that vanilla ice thing going on. The really long braided rat tail. Well, I don't think that they have the rat rat tails as a style statement. It's like it's all the hair they have left, so they're <laughs> <laughs> so they're balding on top. Yeah, the horseshoe sh- hair is all brought back into the thin rat tail. And it's a it's amazing. In my daily life, how many of those people I see? Oh, dude, I took a picture of a dude who came in with one of those so balding, long braided rat tail, and his eyes looked in two different directions. It was <laughs> priceless. <laughs> no. <sighs> the Okay, so we're getting off on our shit here, but the frequency, the amount of people I see coming into work with eyes that look in two different directions is alarming. So either it means two things, like... If you take it as a segment of the general population, there's a lot of motherfuckers out there (laughs) with some googly eyes that look in different directions. Or if you say that as that's the type of people who come into my workplace, a huge portion of the people who just come to my workplace have eyes that look in two directions. So I don't know what it is or what the deal is. But it's frightening, and I always just switch back and forth between which eye I'm looking at when I talk <laughs> yeah. to them because I'm not really sure which what, fucking one is looking the at good what. Eye? Are they both good? Do you? I, I don't. I mean, have they adapted like a chameleon where they can look in two different directions at one time, or That'd is be they like fucking amazing? Or do they kind of just like glaze over the one eye and look over the other one? I don't know. I don't know. And you know what? The thing is, it's it's a tragedy because do they even have depth perception? Because it takes two eyes staring at one object to see 3d <laughs> yeah, who knows? so is it like having one eye but like two eyes staring and i don't i don't really want to know but i'm really fascinated at the same time and i didn't realize and maybe i'm naive but i didn't realize that there was different types of it like i i always thought like one person had one eye going off but like there's wall eyes where people both of their eyes are going off like away from each other and, and like in in England or Britain, or it's like called boss eyedness. What? <laughs> yeah, so I, it's okay. weird. All right, let's get back to this whiskey and let's that's... let's have a sip. All right, tasting this. It has a surprisingly thin mouthfeel. It doesn't kick my ass. Mm-mm. It's not harsh. A little chocolatey. Also a little bit of like white raisin. Yeah, I was going to say like some sort of like. It has a real nice, long, warm finish to it. It has some sort of like chocolatey nougat, nougat maybe. Mm, would yeah, be a good... nougat. That's, yes. I'm learning, everybody. I'm learning. I and I'd say not like the nougat in a Snickers or a Three Musketeers, but no. like the nougat or whatever that's in like either a nut roll or something like mm-hmm. that, that kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has a really long finish. Like it's, I'm, it doesn't, it's not a harsh burn, but it's a warmth that 
It's a slow burn. It's it settles all the way down and into the stomach a bit too. If I was out on a cold ass day, a little blast of this would warm your ass right up. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying it. I was just gonna say this is good whiskey, smooth. <laughs> <laughs> For such a high proof, it's very smooth. I approve. God damn it, it is. And that's that's just what it is. I have to say it. I will now. We I, I did dip into this the small batch of the other Taylor that I have. This is better. Mm-hmm. Way better than the small batch. The, and we could we could do that tasting in another time, but there is a big discrepancy between the small batch Taylor and in the single barrel. Single burial. Now you're speaking my language. <laughs> Put me underground. <laughs> Just end it all before I have to go back to work. Yes. I'm sorry for you. I, I pray that you will survive. So speaking of not being at work. Oh, yeah. I just got back from California Extreme. Yes. I... I have, listen, since you've been back, I've been resisting asking you about it at all, because I want to know about this shit, so please. So California Extreme is a convention naturally out in California. Uh, This year it was down in, well, I say down in because I flew into San Francisco and then went down to Santa Clara, which is right next to San Jose. So basically, you're in tech land out there. Silicon Valley with all the tech companies. So, and it's actually right, the hotel that it was at is right there, like next door to the stadium where the 49ers play. So looking out the hotel room, there's the stadium. And it's like right there. And it's weird because it's like, it feels like it's out in the middle of nowhere. Hmm. And then there's just like a ton of parking in hotels. <laughs> it's a big fucking hotel. Really big hotel. And... So what it is, is California Extreme is a convention for arcade games and pinball. So whether it's really old arcade games, contemporary ones, same thing from pinball, it encompasses everything. So basically it's a two-day free-for-all of a ton of shit. And this is my first year going out there. Um, I've got friends who live out in San Francisco. I've got friends who live uh, all over the country who make it out there for this, and they have gone multiple times. Like I had a buddy coming from South Carolina, another one coming from St. Louis, and you know, me and two of my other friends are coming out here from Minnesota to this thing. We're all just having a good time. People, you know, from Southern California come up for it too. Basically, like all these people that I have known of or known through interaction on the internet they're all showing up for this you know a lot of them have become my friends you know because of that how do you make friends on the internet i don't know if you really make friends you just like bond with people that you make fun of other people (laughs) (laughs) okay all right but or you know you share the similar interests and you both find yourself at one place and then you just start talking um yeah, a lot of places don't let you make fun of other people, but the one place where I met the majority of these people from, it's okay. But anyways, <laughs> so getting to the hotel, 
The hotel thing was a pleasant experience. Unlike the last convention I was at, it was like easy to get a hotel room. It was easy to get in and out. It was easy to navigate your way around. The rooms are nice. Um, like we went to check in. We were supposed to check in at three, but it got delayed a little bit. So each of us got a $50 food or beverage credit for any place in the hotel Ooh. because of that. So I was like, okay, bonus. I'm going to be drinking on that. <laughs> And you know, it wasn't a big deal because we were able to keep ourselves busy and they held on to our bags for us, too. So it was like bonus on top of that, even better. Um, as far as the video games go, uh, there was a main area on the, the main floor of the hotel. And my best estimate was there must have been about 700 arcade and pinball machines in this one room. Damn. At least it had to at least be that much. And what I didn't find out until later was that there was an overflow room somewhere in the hotel what? too where there was even more stuff and I never made it to that one. And there was an upstairs level and up there it was like uh console related stuff and performances. And then lastly there was a room where they did like a few panels. Uh I mean, it was completely overwhelming, the amount of stuff that was there. And being a first-timer and talking to other people, um, they, they shared kind of the same feeling. It was like, what do I play? Because, <laughs> like, everything's on free play. You can do that. You don't have to pay for anything when you get in there. You just had to pay to get into the convention. But it's just like, where do you start with so many options? It's redisc, 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 it's ridiculous. <laughs> it was ridiculous. So, like, I started out the few things that I played. I was like, oh, I already own these. So, what am I doing? Playing? Yes, stop it. <laughs> and later, it just turned to me trying to take everything in because I mean, there was a lot of people there too. So, a lot of machines you had to wait at, or there was just people crowded around things watching. So, it made it kind of hard to navigate through the makeshift aisles that they made out of all the arcade games there but there's two things that were really on my mind while i was in this main room is one the amount of outlets that needed to be used in there no shit was fucking mind-blowing so i don't know how you know power was set up for all this stuff or Did how they have I to like have it. an extra generator outside of the building a power wall i have fucking no idea and it's like I mean, there is. I, I'm I'm guessing that there's outlets all over on the floor somewhere. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, how many of them did they need, and what were they doing to run all this stuff? Was just out of control. And then the other thing was, is unlike the last convention that we were at Convergence, that hotel, no matter where you were, was nice and cool. I mean, oh, they yeah. got 700 machines that get hot running in one area. Yeah, and thousands of people in there, and it's just like. Things were kept nice and cool. So that was really impressive. Yeah, I would... That much old hardware, cabs, old school monitors mm-hmm. that are just basically fucking furnaces. And right. you're in California. Yeah. And so it's like, in the Bay Area, it's usually typically cooler. Like, it was around 57 degrees every day when I was in San Francisco when I was out there. But when we got down to Santa Clara, it was like up in the 80s, that kind of thing. You're getting far enough away from the ocean to lose that effect. Gotcha. So it was getting hot outside, definitely. But it was nice inside the hotel. Oh, hell yeah. It was real enjoyable. 
700 plus machines. I saw a picture. I don't know. I think you put it on Instagram on your personal mm-hmm. account. It's mind boggling just the cascade of machines because I'm used to, again, this dates us a little bit, but like old fashioned arcades and, and how they're kind of set up. And in an arcade, a given arcade, you'd maybe have 20 cabs mm-hmm. and yeah. that's it. I can't imagine 700 or more. Or more. It could have been more. That's insane. I bet it was loud as fuck. Oh, it was. It was so loud there. It's, yeah. Like, you could have used earplugs. Definitely. Like, did they have it sectioned off by cabs and then pinball machines? Like, pinball machines were one area and... For the most part, yeah. I mean, it would going in the main entrance, pinball machines would be immediately off to the right, while arcade machines were to the left, and there was like a, a weird back area that wasn't like one massive place. It was a wall, and then it turned off to the left and went further down for some more stuff. Sure, they're filling all their conference rooms and all that stuff mm-hmm. with various machines. So was there, what did you see there that, that was super rare that maybe blew your mind that so the main reason that i was out there was you know not only to see my friends and go to this thing and have a good time but i went there specifically to see a game that is in development for new arcade hardware right now and that game is called aka toe blue so basically that translates to aka and blue toe is japanese it could be used like and so basically, like, one character, his name is Aka, the other character, her name is Blue. What it is, it's a, like, a vertical scrolling overhead shooter. Not like shooter that people refer to, like, Kawaduti. <laughs> Kawabooty. That kind of thing. But, like... Old school 2D. Like, yeah. Like, for example, most people know if you say a game like Galaga, then they go, okay, like that, and yeah. they get it. So, that's the game I wanted to see. And the interesting thing part about this game is it is the first game that I know of that's being is a phone game that's being ported into an arcade game. Now that's odd. Where usually everything's the other way around. Like, it's an arcade game and they make a port for a phone. Right. So, what led to this is a new piece of uh, arcade hardware is being developed by... A guy you know from the internet. Um, he goes by <laughs> he goes by show, but he's living in Japan and he's working with people to create new arcade hardware to bring things back to what it used to be like in the arcade scene as far as being an operator. So along with this, he brought with him um, two people. One is the owner of. Uh, the largest independent retro arcade in Japan. Uh, His name is Minoru Ikeda. He owns uh, Mikado Game Center. And the other one that he brought with him was the programmer of Akato Blue, and his name was Yugo Fujioka. So they held uh, panels um, with these guys, so wow. Sho was doing the translating, and then the two Japanese gentlemen were speaking in Japanese, so it was a Q&A. So they would talk about something and then have a Q&A. So the first panel was, like, the arcade scene in Japan and how to run a successful arcade. 
and then it was this new hardware, and then the final one was specifically about Akato Blue. And uh, I, I didn't make the first one, so I, I, I made the panel about the hardware, and they explained why that was being developed, and then the one about the game. So in Japan right now, your traditional arcade, which they were like the last bastion of you know, real arcades in Japan, but those are slowly going away too. And a couple of reasons that that's happening is because a lot of these larger game companies, say like Namco, Sega, that kind of thing, right. a lot of these companies, uh, or Taito even, have their own, like they have their own uh, game centers. And game center, what they refer to as an arcade in Japan, the game center. So they have these massive buildings, mini floors, all arcade games. But just of their uh, brand. Not just of their stuff, but like majority of theirs. I got So like now what's happening is like if, say, Namco released an arcade game, they would make the arcade um, operators, owners, buy said game. Like so they've got to put the money down for this game. And, you know, back in the day what it used to be is you buy this game and you run it, everything that you make – everything that you know all the coins that people are pumping in that's what you make and you keep that because you own the game mm-hmm. well now these companies are saying okay we're going to sell you this game it's this price it's dedicated because a lot of the old arcade games used to be generic like you'd have a cabinet and you could put any game in it so a lot of the newer like your ones, sega like, like the cabinets that i have in in my home yeah so now a lot of machines are going back to the dedicated thing like you're used to seeing in America where it's like this machine is for this game and that's it. So everyone's taking a page out of EA. <laughs> yeah. And and so they're saying you have to buy this dedicated thing and we're taking X amount of percent of what profits you bring in too. So they're also taking a page out of Adobe. Yes. So <laughs> it's like you buy this six to twelve thousand dollar machine because now they're elaborate weird things and you're paying that much for it and then you're giving them half of whatever you make off of it too jesus so it's like unless it's really high performing you aren't going to get anything so not only are things in arcades not going as well now companies are asking for more money and then that's just you know creating a downward spiral for everything right you create you're they're basically asking for money in perpetuity of of mm-hmm. the game forever and always. And yeah, I could see how that's no longer financially viable for a, especially if you're independent. Yeah. So then the other thing is, is like if there's an upgrade to said game, sometimes they don't offer, you know, upgrades. There's no DLC for these things. They make you buy another machine. Well, if there's an arcade port of it, like one of the things they were talking about is Street Fighter V. Like, well, if you buy that, I mean, you know, the upgrades, you get those on your console you know, any DLC for that. But in the arcade, they're like, okay, sorry, buy a new machine. That's fucking insane. Yeah. So things are, things are, you know, probably coming soon to an end for arcades in Japan. And now it's like most of the stuff you see are what they call UFO catchers, where you try to, you know, catch a stuffed animal or uh, something out of the You know what's insane to me? It's like they purposely want to kill that business. Do you know what I mean? Like you're making it financially unviable for anyone to do if you're making people buy this hardware do all the stuff give someone 
profits in perpetuity for having the machine. I mean, it's just, it's like, hey, can we kill this business? It's like, let's rape and pillage as much money as we possibly can for a short period of time, and then let's just make it go extinct. It's like, oh, I mean, you can look at it any other way, but Capcom and Konami are basically killing themselves with their stupid moves that they've been doing. I just, I I guess I don't understand the short-sighted run for (laughs) profit. Who... Who knows what's going on? I, you know, it, it clearly like the appetite. Like if you if you look at like when they announced PlayStation Four versus Xbox One, and Xbox One had like that that awful E three performance, and PlayStation had the joke where because uh, they were initially going to be like all digital or some shit like that, they were pushing for it, and they and so Sony did a meme basically where they said, "Hey, if you want to sell a game." And they just hand someone a physical copy of the game. You go, yeah, you could sell that. It's fine. Like, <laughs> because Xbox, while they might be right in the long-term future, everything is going to go streaming. Everything is going to go probably digital. Like, I think physical media, in a certain sense, is dying. Uh, I don't... I think people of our generation uh, have a love of physical media, so I think we're going to see, like, a, a peak of it. I think people that are younger than us are going to be like, what is physical media? Why would you own anything? Because the idea of own ownership, I think, to people that are under the generation of us is kind of an absurd idea, you know, with iTunes and, and all. Getting it from smartphone games and all that. All that shit. But I think with, you know, our 20-year span of our generation, I think uh, physical media is going to have a resurgence and it'll eventually die out. It will have a death, but anyways, back to the dude developing arcades so, systems. Yeah, so this new arcade hardware that's being developed that's trying to take back this old feel uh, is called Exa Arcadia, and this particular piece of hardware has gotten a lot of interest because what they plan to do is sell the hardware, sell the software, that's it. They aren't asking for any profits for anyone they aren't you know selling it in dedicated machines they aren't doing anything like that they're telling other developers hey this is what we're going to do so they're garnering a lot of interest with that which is really cool and the other thing is is this piece of hardware is supposed to work with both older style arcade cabinets that use crt screens but also be compatible with the new arcade machines that use 16 by 9 LCD screens. So at the show, they had them running in a type of arcade cabinet called a Vulix. And these are usually what you see, like the newer Street Fighter games, and running on that with the screens in a vertical orientation. Okay, yep. And take it up. So while it says it's supposed to work with both for the same game, I find that kind of weird because you're messing with aspect ratios and... Uh, resolution but they say it's going to be able to do both Um, one of the things that they cited uh, about the arcade hardware thing is there is a company called cave and they would make these they're like the most popular producer of those like vertical scrolling shooter games and the last game that they did um, the guy said they only sold 350 copies of this game, 60% of them were to like personal <laughs> collections like I would have in my own house. I don't own that particular game. 
unfortunately. But they said the reason it didn't sell so well is one of the big arcade owners, so there's like Sega, Taito, Namco, and the other is like Round 1. And we do have a couple Round 1s in America now, but like Round 1 wouldn't buy the game because they didn't have any cabinets that it would run on. So it's like they Mm. lost a huge potential for sales just because it didn't work on a certain hardware. Because now what uh, Show is saying is that all the arcades, all their either clearing out all the stuff that uses CRT screens or they're converting them into LCD, Hmm. which is like, if you're a purist as far as visuals go and accuracy and all that LCD is not good. But I said, I asked you that because I don't know the different, like, you know, to be a TV in my mind, being the layman LCD means better, graphics better refresh rate better i don't so what what is the difference between a crt and lcd for arcade specifically well basically you don't have to worry about refresh rate there's no lag or anything on a crt screen um with lcd screens there's input lag you hear people talking about Mm -hmm. like you do a a command with the controller and it doesn't instantaneously happen. There is some sort of lag. And for some games, especially these shooter games that have become popular, what they call bullet hell or Maku, you need to be able to, rela- to react instantly because there's so much going on. So my buddy, he had just got one of these Vulixes in his house, and it's a different kind. It's supposed to not have that great of a uh, panel in it, the screen on it. So everyone is complaining about lag in it when they were playing like they'd get killed it's because there's lag or something right. like that not because they were a shitty player <laughs> it's that damn lag yeah but i know these people and they are good players and i was playing and i did notice it too so that that's that's an actual thing and you get better colors with the crt um it's there, there's no ghosting in the images with fast movement anything like that so that's really interesting because we we have this push for LCD and these, you know, 4K monitors, stuff mm-hmm. like that, and for a very specific purpose, CRT's old school hardware is a better, superior product. Right. That's really interesting. I, to me, this is the first time that I'm that I'm hearing this in that regard because mm-hmm. I've always associated, you know, I'm kind of pursue the newest, greatest thing, so I'm always looking at, you know the new technology that's coming out and what the improvements are. Yeah. And, and well, it, of course, new technology is always more convenient. It's not convenient to lug around and own and still maintain a bunch of old cathode ray tube equipment. It's just weird to me that a cathode ray tube is, is superior when it comes to a certain kind of video game uh, experience. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's strange to me. It's just, it doesn't compute because and maybe I'm just a victim to marketing where I'm like, you need to get the better TV. You need to get 4K. You need to get 120 hertz. You need to get blah, 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 blah. Oh, man, I won't even get started on 120 hertz because I can't stand that shit. But, I mean, unless you're using something that has HDMI on it, it's not going to look good on an LCD. If you are using your older video game systems on an LCD screen, I mean, you will know that they look terrible. Unless you have some sort of upscaling device, which I have one of those specifically because I do play on a plasma TV now. So it'll take an old, like, 240 by 480 resolution thing, 
scale it up to 1080p so it's a nice crisp image instead of a muddy just disgusting image yeah so you know what you're saying is if you're plugging in a retro console into a new tv it's gonna look like shit yes so so going off that that's also what i find so interesting about this new arcade hardware is that it's able to output resolutions for both old and new hardware so that's pretty killer so is it a, is it a Raspberry Pi? <laughs> I couldn't tell you what it is. I couldn't. I mean, we didn't get a look at it. Um, I would bef- imagine he keeps that shit under wraps. I, they were supposed to bring it over to my buddy's place on Friday before the convention, but they were just too busy setting everything up that they they couldn't come to his house for all that. Your buddy must be fairly important if they're going to lug a brand new cutting edge, this thing, to his house. He is part of the NorCal Arcade Club, so it's a group of people out there, all friends who are into the same thing. And, you know, they've got all the hardware. They had to bring it out there to the convention. So they had to bring their cabs out there for them to run this hardware on. Gotcha. So if they didn't bring that stuff there, they wouldn't have been showing anything. Gotcha. So, uh, other than that, and that's really a fascinating thing because I, that is where you and I, our interest kind of diverge from each other. Like I, that's not one of my things that I'm into. I'm fascinated. I think it's a very interesting and I like playing arcades, although admittedly I've never played anything in one of your arcades. We've never gamed together ever. I've had it on when you've come over and you just kind of looked at it like this. I'm, I don't. I'm not fucking with this. <laughs> yeah. Although, I, I mean, I do. It's something we'll have to remedy at some point. I, cause I do enjoy it. I like, I like playing arcade games and it's, it's definitely a thing. Um, so it's all very, this is all very fascinating to me where I, I just, I had no idea. I just didn't get, I don't understand any of, of that kind of thing. So, so also they were thinking, I mean, there's more stuff there. This new hardware, they're making it so, like, you don't need it connected to the internet all the time. Like, new Japanese arcade hardware has to be connected to their internet. And if you're not in Jesus. if you're not in Japan, like, if you get the hardware out of Japan, unless you do some sort of hack on it, I mean, you still won't be able to connect online, but you can get, like, games and, inf- like, whatever you need for it. You have to have, like, a Japanese IP address be in Japan for this to work properly. So it's just like they, they put the, they're putting screws on all these people for all these things. So this new arcade hardware, they're like, everything that we sell is going to be ready to go. There's there's not supposed to be any DLC unless it's like bonus or add-on. Like there won't be incomplete games, and they're keeping the price down and it available. So say like someone in a third world country, if they got cabs and they still want these games, they're going to be able to run them. I think this has potential to be really successful. And I think, here's what I predict. There's going to be a lawsuit from a large company for proprietary technology that they allegedly is similar because you think about that, you're cutting the profits of all these huge companies. You say, hey, all these developers, all these indie developers, all these, you can now just develop whatever you want to do, release it, not have all this bullshit attached to it no strings attached mm-hmm. because that's where mm-hmm. the indie developers now are really where the innovation is happening and these interesting things are happening and if you look at a lot 
even Minecraft was just this dude creating a thing and now is a huge thing. So there's a lot of potential for innovation and for the next greatest thing to come out of mm-hmm. this format now. So I think it's really it's interesting. I'm a little skeptical, not because I don't think it can succeed, but because I think there's someone with a big foot that's going to come pressed down for some reason or another. There, there could be. But, you know, all these little guys banding together yeah. might be able to do something I, about I it. I hope that they... I hope that this revitalizes a oh. arcade, arcade culture. But speaking of lawsuits, so, okay, Tanoshimas is the the company that makes Akato Blue, the game that I really went out there to see. Yeah, Akato Blue is comprised of a couple of ex-Cave employees. So you had this company, Cave, who was the popular shooter maker. They ended. These two people went off, or more, I'm not sure. I know for sure it's two, peop- two ex-Cave employees. Went off, started this company, Tanoshimas, and then made this game, Akato Blue, and then, like, Cave tried to sue them over the game. So stuff is already happening. It didn't go anywhere. They didn't. What's interesting is basically what large game or, or corporations do is they buy companies that are doing interesting things. They incorporate them in. And then they make their employees sign basically these non-compete contracts where if you are developing something on the side technically they own that thing that you are developing on the side and so they're these contracts are really draconian as far as uh, you know what's in them and people like you're getting a job doing your dream thing hey i want to make video games and you realize that, hey working for a big corporation isn't all tacked up to be i'm going to do my own thing on the side but technically i signed this contract that says that anything I do ever on the clock or not is owned by them. It's a, it's a it's a tricky thing. It's like you know part of like Oculus Oculus Rift big uh, lawsuit with them. You don't really hear them out in the big world anymore. It seems like after they got sued yeah, by Oculus Bethesda, Oculus really dropped off the radar, right? Because they got sued into oblivion. I think because they lost. Part of the lawsuit, I forget all the details of it, but they're still out in the world. But basically, they, they kind of lost to Bethesda. Uh, or not Bethesda, but but to 2K Interactive, maybe? I don't know. I think it, one of those companies owns, like, is a conglomerate to what uh, John Carmichael was part of. And basically, because he was working on... He stopped focusing on their in-house production and started working on this thing, giving advice to this kid that Palmer Lucky, that he was in violation of the employment contract and all this stuff and deprived Bethesda and 2K and all in nether, you know, whatever company he's part of, of future profits. So, and they lost, they, I think they got, they're liable for like $2 billion or something like that. Fuck. Yeah, that's crazy. But, you know, it's Facebook. So Facebook owns, you know, Facebook is one of the most profitable, uh, highly valued companies in the world. I think they lost recently like something like 
they lost a tenth of their value, which is like four billion dollars or something astronomical. But they're fine. Zuck got zucked. <laughs> yeah, Zuck got zucked. Have you seen those memes where they make them into da- into data from? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous. Uh, can I just say this whiskey is great? I'm really enjoying this stuff. Yeah, it's good. It's real right. good. What else do you have to bulk California Extreme? Tell me, give me the details, because I have not, I've not prodded you for any details. It was a, it was a lot of hanging out with friends, and I think that might have been the best part of it, because the friend I stayed with, he's got an arcade in his garage. He's got it converted, and we hang out there, and it's a lot of fun. We have parties, lots of people come over. I've got another friend who's on the other side of the bay. He has a warehouse, and it's full of games too, and. Um, the three people from Japan, they ended up hanging out with us all weekend. So we were there at the convention with them. And then later on, you know, the, the, and the night they're hanging out with us, the next day they're at the warehouse with us. And the owner of uh, Mikado had his phone out and he was live streaming, walking around the place, you know, taking video of everyone playing games while we were there. It was real. Did surreal. they have to have interpreters with them the entire time? Well, um, the guy they came with, Sho, the guy who was making the hardware, he, he lives in Japan, and he speaks Japanese very well, like really well. Um, two of my friends from here who I went out there with both majored in Japanese in uh, college, so they're really good at speaking Japanese. And then a couple of the other guys out there in uh, San Francisco know Japanese as well. So they were able to talk and interact, so there's no problems there. Gotcha. So that that has to be comforting to those guys to come from Japan to be like, Surrounded by white dudes that I bet like it was a very diverse crowd out there. It definitely wasn't all white dudes. And that's, that sounds like a great time. Honestly. It really was. And it's just, it was kind of funny because we were trying to find places to eat and they're like, Oh, everything we've eaten has so been so heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, sorry, I mean, want to go to in and out? Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Let's get gut rot together. That's a great American experience. Did they take, I mean, did they do the traditional thing where they take pictures of, like, American utensils? Oh, no, no, no. Thank God. No, they weren't like that. Yeah, because, you know, that's a very, like, first-time travel Mm -hmm. to America. Take pictures of a fork and a spoon. I don't know. See, I don't know how much traveling they've done. I know they the three of them were also in uh, France for another convention, too, promoting the hard Damn. Because there's a, them. there's a big um, arcade and video game scene in France, too. And you might hear me from time to time talk about how the French are ruining video games. <laughs> but they are. <laughs> but they are. Uh, Assassin's Creed, they're ruining video games. Oh, my God. So I guess the final thing I have to say is, is good times with good friends doing the things I like. If you, like I had mentioned earlier, if you want to check out Akatoblu, it is available on iOS and Android, I'm pretty sure. So you can give it, it's like $7.99. If you want to see what I'm talking about, promote a up-and-coming company and to see what it's about. What I like about the whole situation, number one, is that they, they're trying to make it accessible to as many people as possible and make a game that's not unreasonably priced because you don't have to you can make a good game and make it affordable to the masses and create a whole 
again, a thing like, you know, as I said, Minecraft and a few other games that really started a, a whole trend that were completely divergent of large corporations. I feel like a lot of companies are really like honing in on every, the minutia of the experience and just taking all the joy out of life, ultimately. Anyways. What little there is. What if little there is. There is at all. They're killing it. EA is contributing to killing the joy out of life. So um, let's get into Berserk. So I finished all the new series. This is a this is a, hot, a topic of hot debate on the internet. It, to me, it's crazy that it's, there's any debate at all. Everyone hates it on the internet. They hate it so much that they wish it didn't exist. I love it. I do too. Holy shit. I went into it like cuz you told me like hey, there's there's a point of contention with the new Berserk, it's CGI, there's a lot of like a lot of people hate on it. And I maybe side I mean I don't always side with haters, but there's a point there's usually a point of validity to why people hate on something. And for me, like, going into the first of the new series that takes place after the um, the Eclipse is more CGI, certainly more cel-shaded than the next, ep- you know, the next season. But I loved it. I thought it was amazing. It is. And, you know, I... People complained about the look. Sure, there are some parts where the CG isn't all that great, but I have heard that they went back and cleaned some of it up for the like Blu-ray release of it. But I feel like the look of it is closer to how it looks in the actual manga itself than the hand-drawn one or, say, the films yeah. that were released. Because, you know, they've got that almost like pencil sketch shading yep. kind of look to it, too. And it's just, like, beyond brutal, too, for the violence. It's fucking great. What I like about it is that it's... They're able to do more stylish... Like, it seems more cinematic than the it, it, that, series. And the really funny thing is, is so on Instagram, I follow a couple of berserk meme pages and one of the guys who runs one of them actually did a comparison from scenes in the new series to the actual panels in the manga that correspond to it yep and they are just fucking like spot on like it's perfect they're the same damn thing and it is it was magical when i saw that i really honestly and and i don't know if like i yes it's cgi and is it perfect Maybe not, but I was really, it was executed in such a way and with a a passion, maybe, I don't know, that it, I was just drawn into the story. Like, I really dug um, the whole, like, because after the eclipse, I'm like, what the fuck happened? Yeah, uh, everyone who sees it up until that point and you know like, doesn't know what it is going on in the, the future. What the actual like, fuck? What is this? This is not how this can end. No, and I, it was more stylistic. So I would say there's some John Woo elements to it. Like there's some like there's some flair 
to the CGI that I think was lacking in the 97 series. And, but I don't think any of the, the emotional impact, there are some things that like ultimately kind of bother me a little bit, like Casca being fucking like totally uh, basically a burden for guts mm-hmm. for the, the seasons. Like, that kind of annoyed me. Like, well, it, it helps develop another character, though, also because of that. Sure. Like, what what is his name? Because he, in this, so let's just set it up. So the new series, 2016, takes place after the eclipse. It, it's basically the shutting of a traditional medieval sort of traditional storytelling. It lacks the you know, the original series didn't get fantastical until the last few episodes. This is like fully embracing a fantastical world. So it's really a completely different feel to it than the original series. So like but also the world is changing in accordance to what happens. Absolutely. So um, there's a fucking the main companion now is a fairy. <laughs> like, yeah, puck. Puck, like what? Where did this? You're alluded to it. Depending on like if you watch the movies or if you watch the series, you know you have a certain understanding that fairies exist, and they're kind of like mentioned, but they're not fully realized in the beginning part of the Berserk series. But after the eclipse, all hell breaks loose. Everything fantastical, everything you thought was normal. And I think that's really great about the the first part of it is it's set in a regular world and it questions reality. After the eclipse, all like nothing you know is certain. No. And everything is possible. So so it's basically all all the the bedtime stories, the fairy tales, the horror stories, the boogeyman stuff that you heard about is real. Is potentially real. And so the the 2016 series takes place after the eclipse part of the either the movies or the series. So the movies actually take place they end a little bit after the eclipse. So you get a little bit of the repercussions. The series, the 97 series, it's boop, done. Done. You have no fucking idea what happens. And I can imagine that anyone, like, I could feel the pain of anyone that loved that series, watched it, and, like, finally we get a series that, like, speaks to us and, and all of our, and then it ends at that. You're like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> fuck. And yeah, then, one of my so, friends had that opinion for the longest time. So, he was like, 97 Ooh. to 2017. So, you had the you had the movies, the arc, the Golden Age arc, and then the new series takes place immediately afterwards of the Golden Age yeah. arc. So twenty years later, you get your animated. I can only of it. imagine the pain that these people feel because as an as a nerd, as someone that like as a nerd, I would just say pick up the manga and start reading, and you'll know what happens. <laughs> Yeah, sure, but you know, like things in popular culture, having a movie that speaks to the thing that you love, I can understand the frustration. So, uh, 2016 takes place after the movies. It ties into the movies, 
right afterwards, but not kinda. Uh, and you, it's a totally different vibe. The the new series is like a full embrace of the fantastic. Fairies exist. Trolls exist. Other realms, dimensions exist. Whereas the first series, the movies, everything is like, it's your normal world, the medieval world, it's medieval politics. It's like it's the the human realm, the physical realm, right? And in that, it's brilliant that now we take a one eighty and we go in a totally different direction. And so, going to the new series, like, I guess I was so invested into this into the story, like I wanted to know what happened after the eclipse, after seeing the original series, after seeing the movies. I'm like, what the fuck happens and i know like seeing memes on the internet like i'm wondering about like gus's armor i'm wondering about all of these like the rapey horse like i'm wondering like what's going on and this the new series actually answers most of those questions that i'm yes. wondering about and so you most a- of the meme worthy stuff comes after the eclipse to be honest <laughs> right so what's interesting is that um not interesting. It's sad. Everything you grew, everyone that you grew to love, the side characters are gone. Pippin is still around, and that's about it. The band of the hawk does not exist. They're all done. They're gone. They're killed. Spoiler alert. I don't, you know, for those that are, hopefully you've so not Pippin. Um, what's his name? Ah, uh, guy. Completely ashamed the- that I can't think of it. Listen, we're drinking barrel proof. Yeah, but Pippin was the really, really big guy. Yeah, Pippin. The one I love. I was so sad that he died. I was like, what the fuck? Oh, man. The worst was... um... Fuck, now I can't remember his name either. Basically, the second in command for the Raiders. Yeah. So we're really drunk, so it's hard (laughs) for us to connect the docs to what we're talking about. But anyways, so the Band of the Hawk is disbanded... They're gone. The young kid and Guts and Casca are the only yeah. ones left of the Band of the Hawk. And so it the series picks up with... Is his name Popo? There is a... Po- who? There is a... It's not Popo, whoever it is. Oh, fuck. It is a, a um, blacksmith that's not mentioned Godo. in... Godo. Bodo. Godo. Godo. Who's not mentioned at all in the movies, I don't think. Mm-mm. Only mentioned in the series as someone that Guts goes to that to actually builds his weapons. And the young, the youngest one at the end of the Golden Age Arc series, he's actually not involved in the initial raid. He's be- he's left behind. Yeah. So he's the one that witnesses a a fight between the Skull Knight and and Zod the Immortal, he's left out of the Eclipse, essentially. So he doesn't know what's going on at all. And then there's the blacksmith who builds Guts' sword, essentially. And when we pick up, it's after the Eclipse. And basically... Rickert. That's his name. Rickert. There we are. I can't believe I fucking forgot that. So he's like Rickert... (laughs) <laughs> is with the blacksmith who's built and, and basically 
the blacksmith picks up after he left the band of the hawk and he meets up with him and there's some shit that happens i don't remember because again at this point i'm drunk the manga will answer all these questions for and you. It, just read the manga and i'm gonna do it you know fuck i was looking at getting the manga there's so many issues and it would cost me like four hundred dollars to get like the whole series or you could just like yeah i know i could i could do the thing and just <laughs> and yeah there's there's there is an easy solution to this but i felt like i should support something that i really enjoy but anyways so rickert goes with the blacksmith after the eclipse they're watching after casca while guts is on his quest his initial quest for revenge against what happens. So uh, he's killing apostles. And what's interesting is initially we realize that the apostles are just, we just think that the apostles from the movies are what's in the eclipse, but there are apostles out in the world and they're influencing people. They're, you know, changing events. And so he's on a, a quest to basically trying to find Griffin and kill him. That's what it's alluded to in the new series. Oh, he's trying to kill everyone involved. Everyone. This dude is like bloodthirsty. And what's interesting, this is a very important fact. His quest to kill the apostles is a very important thing. Because it imbues him with a certain destiny-defying ability. And... He's killing his, and you meet up with, basically it's an allegory for the Catholic Church in the new series. What are they called? The Holy Trinity, the Holy... The the Holy See. The Holy See, yes. And, I, and again, this is what I love about the Japanese, is that they interpret Western culture and kind of distill it into very focused story plot points which like the whole time i'm thinking like this this is the inquisition this is the catholic church and the conquest to other nations basically it's a very rigid religious organization that are also chasing after guts and he's now been donned the black knight black swordsman the black swordsman there we are and so now he's basically become the enemy because he's... Wherever he goes, there's death and destruction. Right. And he is badass beyond words. Like, at the end of the series the of the movies, like we just see him facing off against spirits and the, and the Skull Knight kind of watching him take on these spirits. When the new series picks up, it's like he's accepted his fate where he's chased after all of these otherworldly well why not he's always marked he's always going to be chased so why not be the one who's doing the chasing and get them which is a plot point because it imbues sword with special power yes the more he kills these you know demon-like creatures the more powerful a sword becomes and so which too far too large or heavy for to be rail. called a sword. It was more like a hulking mass of iron. Right. So that's amazing. So Gus is like, 
I would imagine he's like 6'4". He's like 6'4", 6'5". He's always clearly a head height above everybody else. He's a very large man. He is, he is by at that point, without a doubt, there is no other human being, anyone from the physical realm at all, who is as strong as him. And he's missing an arm, so he has a mechanical arm that he's using to wield this sword that is as long as he is. It's as big as larger. It might be longer than he is. And he uses all of his contempt and rage and drive to slay his enemies, essentially. And he's going after apostles, which are otherworldly creatures. So we see, and in this, Let's let's get into some factual stuff and just not our fucking drunken ramblings. So it's directed by Shin Yudagati, written by <laughs> Matoko Fukami and Takasha Yumashatsi. Um so should probably let me read those ones. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not gonna do it. I don't care the hate. The internet hate can come right upon me. It's fine. So it picks up. It's the series is a um, technically a sequel to the Golden Age arc film trilogy. So it is supposed to tie into that specifically, which makes sense. So stories follows guts the black swordsman, an appearance which was briefly seen in the first episode of 1997 television series, as well as the final scene in the Golden R.J. films. Um, you know, and we've touched on this before a little bit, you know, and we talked about Berserk a little bit. We did an episode on it uh, up to that point. Everyone hates it. Everyone hates it. Everyone hates the new series. And while I get aesthetically, some people can hate it. The story is so good. And it's so... It's not like it altered the story. It left out some parts, like there's the Lost Children arc. They left that out. But you know, right, you can only so it, it, it's a very focused. You know, it can only folk, you know, carry on certain aspects of the story, and I think it did really well. And I think, as far as the sequel, as far as carrying the character on, I think it did a really good job, and it introduced us to a larger world than what we saw in the original series, the original movies, because not only do you have fairies that exist. You also have witches that exist. And so we meet another character. We add a whole new cast of characters in the new series, which I am sad because I love Pippin. I love a lot of the the original characters that are in the first series, the first go of them. But How about those feels when Judo died? Oh, fuck you. <laughs> but we add on a new cast of characters that are just as interesting and just as important. So what is his name? Cicero? Serpico. Serpico. So he's a basically an orphan child who's a thief who is basically a loudmouth who doesn't know when to shut the fuck up. No. Different character. So Serpico and uh, Farnius or whatever are together. The two who are in the Holy See. I'm talking about the little kid who 
is like you see him in the first episode mm-hmm. and basically like starts to follow him through the rest of the series. Yeah, and that oh, god damn it. I think it's Serpico. I really no, feel it's Serpico. It's not Serpico's the blonde dude. Wind sword in the cape. <laughs> yes. Hold on. I'm gonna get to this real quick. There's Farnese, Serpico, Isidro. Isidro, yeah. That's him. So and I, what I like about, and I, I don't know like if it's a product, the fact that there's this anime or this manga series has been running since the 80s onward, they're very distinct characters with very distinct personality traits. So while I'm set, like, because again, I like Pippin. He's the silent, strong guy. And I think there was potential there to explore. We never got to. Died very sadly, and every one of the band of the hawk dies, and then the really the story is the crazy thing is the first season is Griffith being reborn. Which I didn't necessarily see, because I didn't really understand what the fuck was going on some of the time. Like I understood all of the, the obvious plot points, but like the weird, like fetal, the ghost thing, baby, the ghost baby that was protecting Casca at all times. Yes, the the rape baby, the rape baby. Yep. Uh, I didn't really understand what the fuck was going on, and then you basically have like the Catholic Church. Like I, this is my go-to you know, like identification with the Holy See. Well, and then going on witch hunts. Witch hunts. And it was really like a allegory for the, you know, Salem witch trials or the Spanish Inquisition, like going after witches. So I was like harsh, harsh. And we get the one the the female character who goes to the Holy See but then goes out yeah, Farnese. Farnese, who's she's. We learn that she's troubled. Oh, she's got some fucking problems. She's got dude. problems. But this is what I was saying. The development of her character is brought about by taking care of Casca in her current state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say my gripe is, and this is my own personal thing: is would Casca really be that incapacitated for that stretch of time? Well, with the way the things are being written out in the manga right now, yes. <laughs> yes. That's fair. It's frustrating to me because I want Casca to come back. Got to be... get to the land of the fairies to see if the fairy king can help her out, man. Uh, and I got to read the manga for that. Well, that's what they're, they're working towards. I don't know if they've gone there yet. It's been a while since I've checked up to see if there's been any updates, but that's what they're working towards. I'm very excited. Anyways... The series becomes more fantastical. It introduces a whole lot of other aspects. It gets away from the medieval politics. It gets more on the fantastical side. It gives it more, I don't know, spiritual, metaphysical, if you will. It talks about other dimensions. It talks about three dimensions. You've got your physical realm, and then basically what you think of heaven and hell is. And you've got your spirits that exist on one realm and the God hand that are very deep, like super deep to where no human has come and returned from. Read the manga and you'll find out even more crazy shit. Right. So there's a lot of stuff that gets like 
pushed to the side for this, too. This dude's mind is like... You'll get backstories for apostles and stuff like that. It's fucking amazing. And that's that's my next step. My next trajectory with this is getting into the mangas because I've everything that I could possibly see, I've, I've done. But the series... Anyways, going back to it, the series. So the first of the new series takes place after the eclipse. It... Basically, is about the resurrection, ultimately, of Griffith. The Skull Knight plays a less of an impact, except for towards the very end. He's kind of a spice in this whole series. He's kind of peppered in. He's in a little bit. We don't know anything. They refer to him as the king. Emperor. The emperor. Which and it's... I mean, it's we're pretty positive that he's he was Emperor Geyserich. What I like towards the end of the second season of the new episode is we finally get the guts in his berserk armor. Yes, the berserk armor shows up, the namesake of the entire series. Which is insane. You think about this. You think that there is a 1997 series, a 20-year break, almost 20-year break. You've got the, the Golden Age arc series, three movies based on it. And it's not until 2016 that we actually get to see the namesake of the whole fucking series. In animation form. (laughs) In animation form for this. So we see he's basically fighting an apostle. And they're at an alternate dimension in reality. And the witch, she's basically hidden this armor. She's held on to it. It's also heavily hinted at that it used to belong to the Skull Knight. And, and she's been watching over it since. Since. Yeah, so that's an interesting factoid because I, in the series it was told that it killed the previous occupant. Well, Skull Knight's not exactly alive. It's not exactly dead, though, either. He's something else. Right, but we're not, I don't know any of that. But we don't know for sure. It's just heavily hinted at that it was his. Sure, 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 sure. So, anyways. Which is why its appearance at the time that he first got it was similar to how the Skull Knight looks presently and how it altered in shape when Guts got it. So, Guts during his time is fighting the brand. So, he's been branded after the Eclipse. And what we learn is that the brand itself... Not only does it call other otherworldly spirits to him, but it actually affects him physically. That it, it has a an effect on his psyche. That it's a that it's something that he's actually fighting against. It's almost like he, an alarm for knowing when they're around and when it's time to fight. Right, it starts bleeding and bothering him. And he right. knows some shit's about to go down. But it also has. There's also another thing to it where it's like. In the series, you start to see a wolf talk to him, and it's basically bad impulses. Where but is that the brand, or is that just the quote-unquote demons in his own head that he's dealing with? And I, I think it's more of that. Than see, I don't know that. See, I haven't read the manga, so I don't know. It's it's all up in the air at this point. So the what I like about it, as you said, when we first get him into that armor, and it was just really exciting to me, it's, it resembles a skull, skull knight armor, a little bit, really. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets it on, it transforms into 
his reflection of his worst fears, anger, the worst version of himself. This armor reflects that. So it's like a wolf, I guess. Or a dog or something. Something. So it changes. And so he's fighting an apostle. So what I, what I think is interesting, if you, if you go back, first season is about the rebirth of Griffith in human form to pursue what we find out is his original goals, which is to rule his old kingdom. So he's reborn at the end of season one in human form. Season two is all the repercussions of him being back in human form. So like within the first few episodes, you have all of these supernatural creatures pledging fealty to him. So you've got Zod, which we've known throughout the series, mm-hmm. pledging fealty. And these other cast of characters that are clearly supernatural all apostles, of course. All apostles, of course. Of course, he's basically the king apostle, so... Yeah, he's... Head of the god hand. Right. So what we understand is because he had the red bailet, he's a king. He's a leader. Now, I don't know if he's the king of kings, the Jesus Christ of god hand. I haven't, I haven't read the manga yet. But it's heavily implied that basically he is... The king of kings. Well, it's weird. He comes back. He's a very bad guy, but now he's everyone's hero because he's forming this army and freeing Midland from the Kushan invaders right. that are coming in. So he incorporates... So what's interesting, I find that there's an interesting parallel between him and Con- and actually Alexander the Great. So Griffin, when he comes back... Griffith. Griffith, Sorry. I'm drunk. Forgive me. This fucking cast strength shit has got me going. So, Griffith, when he defeats someone, if they pledge fealty, if they, and those people pass test, become incorporated into his army. So he's not total annihilation, which is what Alexander the Great did. He came in, he said his, like, hey, this is what it is. If you pledge your fealty to me, you're incorporated in and your viewpoints are incorporated in and we'll just fucking move forward what she's doing. So his army incorporates Midland warriors. He's basically restarting the band of the Hawk, but then he's got like this other, he does call it the band of the Hawk. Yeah, it is the band of the Hawk. finds out he flips his fucking lid. Yeah. He's not happy about this, but he's got regular warriors, human folks that are both of Midland and the Akusha. Kushan. Kushan. So, like, basically what would be India, that kind of thing, is what the But then he's also got... All the the apostles and... The supernatural. Supernatural stuff, yep. And they live in the forest in the dark, and they're kind of separated from everybody else. But he's basically viewed as a savior. So at the end of a battle, he's communicating with all these spirits... Which I imagine in reality he's enslaving to himself. But it's like might very well be. But he like it's viewed as he's freeing them. He's a savior. So he's he's viewed as the white knight. But there is the the prophecy of the black apostle, the fifth god hand. So there's sort of this contention. Well, he is the fifth god hand. But they don't necessarily know oh, that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
So it's really, it's kind of like Guts is the only one that really knows it's alive, that knows what the fuck's going on. Well, and all the apostles. And the apostles knows what's going on. Everyone else is like, it's the White Knight, it's the Band of the Hawk. They Griffith really... is back, he's here to save everyone's ass. Right. But clearly, if you follow the whole series through, you know that he's bad news. He's basically the apostle of the apocalypse. Is my, again, estimation of what it all means. So, you know, he's gathering these otherworldly creatures to fight alongside him. And again, he's a force to be reckoned with. But the difference is he literally has otherworldly creatures fighting alongside him. He's got Zod. I think it's his personal bodyguard. Pretty much. And then he's got these other people that lead to the event of Guts getting his berserk armor. And the berserk armor, from what in the series says, he just can't feel pain. That he's his bones break, everything breaks, he's bleeding, he's dying. Mm-hmm. But he can't feel it, so he's able to fight this super mega powerful apostle. Yeah, so it, it removes the what they say is like the limiter yes. that the human brain imposes upon your body, so you don't destroy your body doing things. So it removes that limiter. He's not feeling pain. If a bone gets broken or something gets in- injured, literally spikes inside the armor go out and stab through his body to act as a temporary repair for the injuries that he sustains while wearing it. Yeah, it's this berserk armor is fucking crazy. Plus, it messes with his mind. And if there isn't someone to bring him back from this berserk mode that he's in, I mean, he could stay in it forever and harm, you know, even the people that he cares about. Right. So it's, this is where the witch comes in and basically drags him back to center, if you will, and allows him to become human again. And what I think is interesting is after you get the human armor and they go into, because they're traveling towards the fairy homeland. Mm-hmm. And I guess he's wearing the armor at all times. And it kind of like, like he's got to be ready at all times for battle because so he's, he's like hunted. So, you know, some of the things at the end of the series, you realize that the sword that he carries is a God killer because it's especially imbued because of all the apostles and the supernatural shit that he's gone through. That sword has taken on special supernatural attributes to kill apostles. And to, <laughs> I mean, in addition to it being just a massive fucking sword. That yeah, can... it's like a seven foot fucking sword. That's like a foot wide. I just saw in Japan they released, you can buy a body pillow of the... the... <laughs> The, the sword's called the Dragon Slayer. You can buy a body pillow that's shaped like the Dragon Slayer. And it's bigger than the bed itself. I, I Like all <laughs> things that you get like that, it's probably not to scale, but it's still a cool thing. That's ridiculous. But that sword is massive. The dude is clearly, he's 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, the sword is as long as he is. Yeah, and he's big. wielding this with one fucking arm, essentially, and a prosthetic. Which also has a cannon hidden in it as well. Right. And when he gets the berserk armor, it turns into even more powerful cannon. Which is 
absolutely fucking amazing. And you know the whole that time was, you know it that specifically talking about that in the berserk armor with his cannon arm when he shot it a lot. That's one of the scenes that people like the internet nerds had a problem with because instead of you know the whole hand part folding down in the forearm section being the cannon, like it was a regular hand with just a hole in the center and the cannon ball shot out of that. People were like, what the fuck is this? How did it completely alter his body to be like that? You know, because a supernatural thing where supernatural things that unfold and it's a supernatural armor and it changed, <laughs> well, I mean, that's uh, unwatchable let's, now. Let's be fucking real here. <laughs> yeah, let's be real. Now it's unwatchable. Absurd. I mean, I honestly watching through the whole series... I didn't mind any of the, the CGI. Like at times, like yeah, it was CGI, but it was it was stylized in a way that was. You know, people were complaining about uh, there's no nipples, oh fuck, and sake. stuff like that. But it's like this was on TV, so actually, depending on what version you get, there are nipples. Yeah, if you get the cleaned up Blu-ray release, they are added in later, and right. some of the other things are cleared up. Right, so because there's in the second season, there are a few spots where some of the CG is like really fucking bad. But you know, I for and I watched. But it. I don't mind. Yeah, I, I don't. Care. I watched it and I was totally engrossed with the story, and I watched that shit so quick. I watched two seasons like that, like two days. I was blasted through them. Like it's such a good story. I wanted to know what the fuck was happening. That I, I didn't really even notice some of the. CGI, some of the things that people are just groaning about, and I didn't really notice it at all. So I mean, really, it, it's it's been very poorly received, not just by internet nerds in America, but in Japan and all that. Yeah, it was amazing that a second season happened. We probably will not get any more. Are you sure? Pretty positive that we won't get any more. That's too bad because that I did. I really did not mind. I loved it, so, I mean, that's disappointing for me, but just in reality, it's probably just not going to happen. That's a bummer, because, again, now, and I I don't mind reading, but it's a different experience watching something unfold in front of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and and I'm really pumped. You don't get the awesome sound effect of his giant sword cutting through stuff when you're reading it that you do when you're watching this show. I mean, it's it's done so stylishly. The violence is done so well. And I I just, like, now that we're to the point of the berserk armor, like, this dude is clearly, like, fucking... At the end of the series, we, we he fights an apostle... A very powerful po- apostle, but we don't really get to see him like figure the full extent of what he can do out. And I'm excited to see that next step of like, what the fuck is he gonna do? He's gonna fuck some shit up, and I'm really excited to see like what that is. To be continued. To be continued. It's. I, I suggest getting into it. You don't necessarily have to see the whole... Like, I watched the original series. There are a few... There's definitely a lot of backstory that you don't get. There's a few scenes that play out differently in the movies. But I think that you could do the movies and do the new series and be fine. And then maybe read the manga to get all of the other... You should really just do all of them. 
Sure. Which you're going to be doing. Yeah. Well, which I have done. I've seen everything there is to see. Now I have to fucking read everything. But if you if you are a person who cannot read shit, A, you probably shouldn't watch anything because you should <laughs> yeah. be watching it subtitled and not dubbed. Yes. So, but really, I'll stick to my guns and say, if you're going to do something, watch the 97 series, watch the films, then watch the new series yeah. in that order. It's a very satisfying... It's really... You know, as we discussed previously, it's the Game of Thrones of anime, but I would say better. Fuck. Well, I- if I that's if I'm going to watch something, I would definitely prefer to watch Berserk over it. But uh, reading the Game of Thrones books was really exciting. Yeah. Reading the Berserk manga was also really exciting. But if I was going to say if something's more narrowly focused towards my interests, like specifically, like that gets really tough too because both of them are. But if it really came down to it, Berserk would be the winner for me. I just, I, I fully support, I fully endorse Berserk. I think everyone should experience it. Again, we've talked about this before. It's extremely violent. It does not shy away from very grotesque, shocking things. Rape being one medieval politics it's a you know it it takes place of a different era you have to understand that going into the series um but i don't think i think i think most people that would be interested in game of thrones or walking dead or any of that sort of thing would not shy away from it so i fully endorse that as a thing like all those other things are out of your life go into berserk because it's going to fulfill it's, it's a really oh, well yeah. written. If, if you need that, you need to scratch that itch of some shit. That'll fill the void. Oh, definitely. Uh, I'm I'm feeling it now. I'm definitely gonna have to read the manga. I I'm gonna start by picking up after the eclipse. I'm not gonna. No, you, I shouldn't do it. Nope. No. 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 Absolutely not. Because there's so much more. I just. It's, the Golden Age arc is the best story ever told, so you can definitely go back and, and so, read it. So, you know... I know you're itching for new material, but you really should start out fresh. Be- and even just the part where the eclipse is, everything that happens there, it's more expanded upon it. You get more stuff. So it's more expanded upon than the 97 series. Yeah. That's incredible. Because my understanding is that the series is a pretty faithful adaption. It is. But... Okay, not not as much. No. Okay. It's it's your typical book versus movie version of book sure. thing. But even a fucking series. I mean, how many? I mean, there was a ton of episodes. It took me a while to get through this the ninety seven series because I had seen the movies first, so it was harder for me to like trod through it. But once I got into the new material, I just fucking watched that shit. I literally watched one season in one sitting, and then the next season in the next sitting. Like one fucking go That's through. doing it fucking right. And I was totally engrossed. I mean, it's, it was torture for me to have to wait a week between episodes to watch them. When I, cause I, I can't coming out. imagine how much torture that would be. And if we don't get a third series, I'm so fucking bummed. It's, yeah, you probably won't. It's shitty. I suppose it was Haters. Gonna, 
I suppose what's going to happen is they're going to reboot it again, and we're going to have to relive the fucking Golden Age arc again. The only, I really, the only way I think I could see another season coming out is if they revamp it the fuck up and really, like, change things, improve the animation, this, that, and the other thing. But that's going to make it cost prohibitive, and that's going to be a problem, too. And then people are going to be like, well, these ones sucked, so I'm not going to watch the new one, even if they did improve it. So, But see, here's the thing. There's a huge difference between season one and season two. Season one of the new series, I thought, really relied heavily on 3D cell animation, whereas season two was more traditional 2D. Well, there is some, there is hand-drawn stuff sprinkled in every once in a while in both of the series, yes. Right. But it was... mainly it's the 3D stuff. Right. And you, you know what? Usually they use the 2D animation for, like, goofy shit happening, or like a still of someone being really pissed off. So it's like they could have completely done it without that and just had something going on. And the cool shit really only happened with the 3D animation in full effect. So when people are getting killed, that's what you get. Or things are getting killed. And what I like about the new series is like how stylish. It's almost like a John Woo film in some regards. Like it's very well... There's no doves flying around. Right. But. It's right. But it's very well executed. It's very well choreographed. I really enjoyed just how they did it. Like how I mean, just guts seemed more epic in the new series than it did in the the original. Well, he's Versus, a different man now. So Oh yeah, totally different. Too. But just how they shot it though, it was totally different. And I was like, Yeah, I'm into this. Like I really appreciate it. I, I don't really have any faults with it. At the end of the day, I have no faults. So I love it. You have anything else to add to this? Watch it, read it, love it. We fully endorse Berserk. That's at the end of the day what we're talking about is get into Berserk. If you love horror, if you love fantasy, if you love manga, if you love anime, it's one of those things that uh, I think is a hidden gem that not enough people really are into but until next time this is eric and this is kyle and we'll uh, catch you next time 